2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. I've got a little story to tell you. Uh, I was driving to the Oval the other day for actually a, a women's club cricket final, which, was, which is a great thing, sponsored by Kia. And it's called a Kia Summer Smash. Two teams, four teams actually, competing for a 10-over title uh, final was at, at the Oval. And it was, it was a nice little tournament. Some good quality uh, women players on show. I was driving there, as I say, and I had the... It was a lovely day, as it has been all week. And I had the sunroof open and I parked at a, a set of traffic lights. And it was like, I was looking at this weather thinking, oh, you know, summer's still going, summer's still fantastic baking hot in shorts and a T-shirt. And just as I was parked at the lights, this leaf fell through my sunroof from a tree up above, obviously. And I just thought, oh, it's autumn. But still, cricket is fighting against the Rugby World Cup. The Premiership is back, obviously, as well. Still, cricket is generating stories. It's the summer of last ball or last wicket stand finishes. Because we had another one, on Saturday night, with Essex suddenly winning off the last ball, the Vitality Blast. So it's the summer that keeps on giving. What a poetic way to start, a leaf falling through your sunroof. So I'm
1: not as gloomy as perhaps that experience should make me. It has been a fantastic summer, probably... The best summer of cricket I can ever remember. The, the drama, the excitement, the sustained drama, the su- sustained excitement, I think. I just hope that this week is not going to end with rain dominating. Yes. And Somerset denied the chance to have a go at Essex. OK, if Essex go on and win the title, fair play to them. And they've managed to sneak in front. That's, that's not, not the right word, sneak in front. Deserved to be in front going into the last round of matches. But what? What? what a way to finish the season, it would be if it goes to Thursday and the last hour of Thursday, perhaps with both sides pushing for victory or at least one side, in, really, it needs to be Somerset, doesn't it? Because Essex um, are in pole position. Somerset pushing for victory going into the last hour on Thursday. That, that would just about cap off what has been the, one of the great summers of cricket. Mm.
2: And obviously, Essex, if they win, um, it's, a, it's a very good double for, for Essex to win the, the championship and the Vitality Blast because they, they are such divergent forms of the game now, aren't they? To, to win a red ball and a white ball tournament in the same week, actually, and probably with. I don't know, seven or eight of the same players is is would be really impressive. But, you know, I sort of hope Somerset do do it just because they've been such a, a, an amazingly resilient county and, you know, they've been neglected in the 100 and they've got all their fans and bloggers complaining about that uh, and, and endlessly. But, you know, they, they do show a great deal of passion. Have you had
1: more complaints from Somerset supporters than anyone else? Definitely. Anywhere else?
2: Yeah, and in a way I sort of sympathise because it is a... I, I, I think Kent and Somerset are two counties with massive support that haven't quite got the uh, uplift that perhaps other counties have had from the hundred uh, you know, Kent is, I think it's the second biggest uh, county cricket-wise in, in, in England. And, you know, it's such a sort of heritage of great cricketers there. And Somerset have really punched above their weight so consistently for so long and still haven't ever won the county championship. So that would be a really fitting story to a fantastic
1: summer. Bear in mind, of course, that Somerset are also going for the double because they won the the 50-over the cup early in the season. So what, what you've got, basically, is, is undoubtedly... The two best clubs or best performing clubs going for the title in the last week of the season. Yeah, yeah, which, which is fantastic for the county game. And, you know, everybody
2: thinks that the cricket season sort of ends with the last test match, but really it's kicked on. And, and although the Rugby World Cup is, is obviously going to be exciting, a very exciting tournament, lots of people watching it on terrestrial TV, of course, but still,
1: cricket's just got that little extra bit of. Free song of magic still to come, perhaps. Now we're going to be talking about uh, coaching in a while, and and who is going to be the next England coach. We can hear from Mark Ramprakash and his thoughts actually about coaching in the hundred and why there have been there are no English coaches, which he's not happy about. But you inevitably, Ozzer, because it's your way. You created a bit of controversy uh, this week with the the power list in the cricketer who's up who's down who's the most uh, powerful who's the most influential really you
2: didn't pay in me industry. enough you didn't pay me enough to get in <laughs> yourself you're really upset aren't you about not being in it I'm, but you've I'm... got you got to slip me a few backhanders <laughs> and
1: then i'll make sure you are i think i'm probably about the 2121st most influential person in english cricket so i didn't get the make the top 50 uh, who did you have at number 1 uh, Tom Harrison again at number one. How is it? How do you decide who is in that that top fifty? Because you, know, you can look at people, you can debate it and weigh it up. Um, you, you need to go to the Cricketer magazine to actually see who is in that top fifty. But we, Tom well, Harrison actually, You've, in fact, it is online at thecricketer dot com. But the explanation
2: is the biog, the biogs, the, the the different sort of rises and fallers. The detail is in the magazine, but you can certainly go online and see the list. How do we come by? Well, I mean, it's a Obviously, it's a very subjective thing. Uh, what is power, to start with? We, is it power or influence? Well, it's, it's, power is influence, I suppose, or influence is power. I, I mean, you're trying to measure it in a variety of ways. Obviously, if you have command of £1.1 billion, which you negotiated uh, in the four-year broadcast deal, you have quite a lot of power, because that's what Tom Harrison secured with the, the broadcast deal for the next four years. Uh, he's the ECB chief executive. He's paid a lot of money to do a very, very uh, responsible job, which he takes a lot of pride and care in. And uh, you know, he is top dog at the moment, and the, I don't think there's much argument about that. You know, obviously, what what you do have with these kind of debates or lists you always have the perennial argument the administrators say well we put the money and organize the game so we're in charge and the players say without us there isn't a game Mm. so it it is a bit of a sort of cut and thrust about who has the real power but I think you know to put the the game on the table on, on the pitch rather uh, that the administrators, as in Tom Harrison's, probably is the most important person. So it's a combination of importance, its influence, its reach, it's whether someone can sell something in their whether their image will create waves of interest in a particular product, weight of opinion is 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 also a, a measure of power and how far reaching that that opinion or that uh, authority they have
1: reaches. You have Ben Stokes at four, Owen Morgan at five, Joe Root, the test captain, at eight. I I know England have just won the World Cup, but in a a sense, is Owen Morgan's influence going to wane? Uh, He's sort of at the pinnacle. What he achieved in some was sort of the pinnacle of his career. But he's perhaps moving towards the end of it. Joe Root is right in the thick of it. Uh, ben Stokes clearly is, is right in the thick. And Joffre Archer is a, is a new entry, but he's, he's sort of very low down. It seems to me that he is, he is someone who is going to be on the rise in terms of his sort of influence as a player in the next uh, two, three years. Don't only blame me for this, by the way.
2: It <laughs> is a discussion between eight of us. Four people from the magazine and two or three other people invited uh, for this year. It included George De Bell, the ESPN cricket correspondent, and also Jared Kimber as well, who's a, a, a kind of a, a wide-ranging journalist who you know gets his fingers into a lot of little areas and, and and is you know very interesting actually and has a sort of slightly different view to to some of us. So we tried to have a collective. Uh, opinion about all these people, and then come to a, a decision. Some of them a bit of a compromise with the players and where they are in the list. Ben Stokes clearly he's going to be sports personality of the year. He's got to be a shoe in for that. I would have thought, uh, unless something incredible happens in the Rugby World Cup or whatever in the next couple of weeks and couple of months. Uh, Stokes's impact on this summer is has been the greatest of all the players uh, that we've mentioned. And so, therefore, he's slightly ahead of Owen Morgan. If you wanted to advertise a product at the moment, let's say you want to sell beard trimmers, for 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 instance, if you're a a representative of Gillette, you know what cricketer would you go to to sell beard trimmers? Well, it would probably be Ben Stokes, wouldn't it? It wouldn't, or or protein bars, or something like that. You know, Morgan is is more he's a figurehead, but he probably isn't going to sell the game. Or, you know, when you look at kids in the street, who do they want to be? They probably want to be Ben Stokes most of all. Maybe Owen Morgan a, a, a bit. Joe Root, yeah, potentially. We're trying to measure these players' influence in the community. And for this year, we decided that Ben Stokes is the highest, has the highest influence.
1: I noticed that Richard Gould, the chief executive of Surrey, is up at number 12, which I think might. Surprise a few people, chief Chief executive of one of the counties. Yes, uh, they were have been a big dissenter
2: in in the hundred. uh, The whole kind of ECB uh, attempt to try and get this competition off the ground has been slightly uh, impeded, if you like, by Surrey, who you know kind of had a very very successful financial business enterprise of their own. Uh, always sell out the their vitality blast games very profitable county very powerful county so we had him up there you know in the top 20 they are the prom, the, the premier county for kind of making money and having the most influence alex
1: stewart director of cricket at surrey at number 16 is that because he may well be in the frame to be the next England coach? Well, we, we kind of hedged our bets a
2: bit there, and obviously we'll find out more in, in a few weeks, but the, at the time of discussion, which was you know, a month ago, he was a likely candidate for the England coaching role. Also, he's in charge at Surrey, a county that are always uh, punching for potential awards and, and success. Actually, they haven't had a greatest summer this year, have they, funnily enough? But uh, generally speaking, for the same reasons Richard Gould is high up, Alex Stewart, for his sort of role as director of cricket at Surrey, but also his wider influence, he's someone that talks a lot to, to players and coaches and uh, he's on the radio, obviously, a, a lot. So we sort of measured his, his influence partly by his media, but mainly because he could be the potential England coach so we're looking sort of into the future a bit and trying to project the the potential influence of some of these people and we thought Stuart if he gets the England coaching role will obviously become very influential
1: a top 50 only four women in the top 50 Mm. Claire Connor the the leading woman in your list at number 13 ECB's managing director of women's cricket
2: yeah, that's disappointing, actually, and um, I, I would have liked to have had a few more women, but, you know, I, I was outvoted. Uh, it's it's not easy to, to, to make a, a big case for prominent women in the game at the moment, which says something about the way that we've managed uh, women's potential ascendance in the game, both from administratively and in the media, really but there are more and more uh, girls and women now involved obviously women's cricket is massively important i i think we need to invest more uh, resources in women's cricket actually i mean you know go back to this kia summer smash that i was at uh, at the oval the other day you know there were four teams of of club cricketers from around the country playing in this final uh, this final kind of tournament and uh, there was some real talent there and such enthusiasm and a bit of pace and there was a girl with who bowled genuinely good off breaks there was actually there was another girl who bowled left arm spin with a she looked like almost a combination between um, a dancer and a bowler because she did sort of side steps and 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 wiggles and things as she ran into bowl to bowl her spin got beautiful loop of the ball dropped it nicely on a length got spin either way so and then there were there was several straight sixes hit. They brought the boundaries in a little bit with the, with the Oval, but there were still some straight sixes hit. So, you know, women's cricket uh, and women's influence on cricket is growing, and I think probably
1: they deserve a few more than four in our top 50. Actually, they do. It's five. Uh... OK. It's, Heather, one, yeah, Heather Knight, uh, Lisa Pursehouse, who's the Chief Executive at Nottinghamshire, Artie Dabas, who's the ICC's Head of Media Rights, Broadcast and Digital, and Isha Goa, commentator in at number 49, to add to Claire Connor. I noticed number two, Ashley Giles, the Managing Director of, of England Cricket. He's got some... Well, he's been speaking over the last few days. He's got some... Well, one very big decision to make in the next uh, few weeks. We talked about Alex Stewart being a potential England coach. He he might be in the frame. There are lots of others, lots of overseas coaches in the frame, people like Graham Thorpe and Chris Silverwood. They have been mentioned as well. We thought, initially, we thought that England were going to have a interim coach taking the team to New Zealand but Ashley Giles saying the other day on Friday that he hopes to have someone in place in time and presumably the interviews start now and we talked last week about yeah, it seems a bit strange that we know that Trevor Bayliss has been going for, for ages and ages and ages no surprise I mean sometimes a coach is, is sacked and you know it does it is a surprise and suddenly you've got to react um, but we've known Trevor Bayliss is going for ages and ages and yet no one's in place. It's, it's, it's a strange one, that. But it, it looks as if you know there is a slight change, and that there is going to be someone named. Mm.
2: Well, and I hope so because you want that continuity, really, don't you? You don't really yeah. want someone sort of standing in for a few weeks, not really sure whether they're the, doing the job or not, and then someone else comes in, and maybe they they might be out. You know, coaches are, are want to to bring in their own preferred assistants quite often. So you, you, if you had a scenario where Chris Silverwood, say, was in charge of the team in New Zealand, and then Graham Ford is announced uh, as the actual coach in sometime in November, but he wants his own bowling coach, so suddenly Chris Silverwood goes from hero to zero. Uh, so, I, I yeah, I, I think it's good that they do get someone in place. And to start the the the, pot, the, the programme of... Building the team, obviously the Test team in in in, in the main uh, towards the next uh, Ashes, and obviously they've got to think about the T Twenty World Cup as well. And Owen Morgan, I think, is going to captain that now.
1: So you know, he probably wants to have a bit of input in who the coach will be as well. Yeah, it mean, looks so there's going to be one overall head coach with some assistants working in the various areas uh, beneath the head coach. The central contracts were a clue to i think who you know, how they're going to go ahead, and you mm. say, "Oh, I mean, Morgan looks now as if he's going to stay because he was given a a central white ball contract um, Liam Plunkett not given a central mm. white ball contract or any jo- contract or any contract Joe denley not given a mm. a, a test match contract uh, that might indicate whether selectors see the future in terms of you know, an immediate selection for New Zealand. It might not. It might be that you know, Plunkett gets picked. It might be that, that Denny gets picked as well. Any surprises, do you think, in the in the central contract? Well, I think it's... It, I'm very sorry
2: for Liam Plunkett, actually. And we, we had him on this show a few weeks ago talking about how keen he was to keep playing and he was hoping to compete for the, the, the T20 team that, that was competing in the T20 World Cup. Of course, you know, it's it's a massive thing for these players, not just for the uh, prestige and privilege of playing for England, but financially mm. as well. It's a huge thing. You know, that one day white ball contract is two hundred and seventy five thousand basic plus appearances. That's going to be topped up to four hundred ish, I should think, maybe more, depending on how many games they play. And the test contract is over six hundred thousand. So you know, it's a huge amount of money. Suddenly, Liam Plunkett, having not been awarded a white ball contract, he's looking at a deficit of 300,000 in his salary. Uh, and his county salary may be 150, something like that, probably less. I mean, Surrey are one of the better paid counties. But, you know, so if you look at it this way, he's gone from potentially half a million to 150. And,. That that's that's a big drop in salary, isn't it? In just suddenly overnight, and um, several others will be will be experiencing that kind of thing as well. But I think in his case particularly, it's very tough because he was such an
1: integral part of that World Cup team. Seven matches, eleven wickets, third most economical bowler. Basically, when Ian Plunkett played. England won. That, that's how it seemed. I think he took 57 wickets over four years in the middle overs, which are
2: the sort of overs where no-one really wants to bowl very much because it's a sort of thankless task. It's the donkey work. And he's kept himself very fit. He's got interesting things to say about the art of, of bowling in that period as well. And oh, I know he's
1: 33, 34. He's 34. So, yeah. I mean, he's 35 next next spring. So, World T20, I mean... <laughs> Is he viable World Twenty? I mean, he's more of a fifty overs bowler, isn't he? So if you're yeah. looking, at, if you're looking ahead to the next World Cup, he, he, yeah, he's not going to be there. Realistically, he's just not going to be there, is no, it?
2: So I suppose what I'm really saying is, it's a very harsh thing to have to accept. Yeah. But maybe there should be some way, maybe there is some some system of parachute payments. Yeah. You know, a bit like when a team gets relegated out of the Premier League, yeah. they get a sort of
1: cushioning fee to kind of soften the blow. Maybe that's what he deserves. Yeah, it's brutal, isn't it? I mean, you, you win the World Cup, and then a couple of months later, you don't you don't get your central contract. I mean, it, it, you're right. It is it is a a really tough decision. I suppose you know the people at the top are paid to take those tough decisions. And sport, we all know it is you know is is a brutal thing. I mean, you you you'll have experienced that during your career. You've seen players who are you know in out. That's it. You know, decision taken on their careers, for example. You know and. That creates resentments. Obviously, it does. And I, you know, in all walks of life, people experience that. It, it does seem particularly harsh in his case. And it, it,
2: and it also shows, doesn't it, that uh, just as the 2005 Ashes winning team never played together again, mm. neither will this 2019 World Cup winning team. They'll never play together again either.
1: Yeah, probably not. Uh, the next one-day international is in South Africa in February. They don't play any one-day internationals in... New Zealand, they play three and three in South Africa. Yeah, that- and the fact that Plunkett has been uh, omitted
2: from the, the the white ball central contract suggests they're not going to pick him for 50 over cricket again, unless he does something absolutely sensational. But where will he do that? Because there's not much cricket for him to play between
1: now and then. One other thing that's uh, emerged from Ashley Giles' media briefing on Friday, is that Joe Root looks if he's going to go back to number four, bat at number four for England. I was never very convinced when I was told, the uh, uh, person who told me insisted that Joe Root was very happy to bat at number three this summer and actually asked to bat at number three this summer. Well, he may have done because he may have just sort of say, right, OK, this is what's best for the team. But clearly, we, we all know, everyone, it's, it's one of the worst kept secrets that Joe Root prefers to bat at number four for England and, he, and he's going back there. The only problem with that England need a number three now. <laughs> well, the, the obvious answer to that is Joe Denley
2: because he's <laughs> he's going to end up batting in probably every position from one to six. Uh, three, he's done a little bit of.
1: It's like snakes and ladders, isn't it, with Joe Denley? <laughs> it is. But...
2: I'm sure he's capable of doing it. And it's it's a great, great opportunity to blood another opener. Or you know, Dominic Sibley's been talked about, uh, a guy who's got 1,000 runs this year for Warwickshire. Ashley Giles actually hired him for uh, Warwickshire from Surrey, sort of poached him from Surrey a couple of years ago when he was director of league at Warwickshire. So he will obviously be, be a big fan. Uh, so good chance of, of Sibley uh, going on tour and Denley dropping to three. And as far as Roots concerned, I, I think actually, if you think about it, his career could suddenly scale up again because, firstly, he's got that cushion of batting at number four potentially. Also, the new sort of strategy for the coach, the head coach, is going to be, I think, to give them a bit more responsibility. Trevor Bailey is very laid back, sort of sit in the background and let the others get on with it. Probably put a bit of extra pressure on route. As captain, but I think the new regime, the new coach is going to have a little bit more hands on control, and that might just take the pressure off Root. And so, you know, the burden will be lifted a bit, and he's going to be able to actually bat as he can.
1: Yeah, actually, Giles was saying Trevor was so, he actually used the words, didn't he? Trevor was so laid back that Joe Root, you know, sometimes had to take control for a week, which seems a strange thing to say. You know, you think, well, how much control the captains want. I mean, traditionally, he used to have a lot of control over a team, but he was saying for a week, basically, what we mean by that is two days before the Test match and the whole Test match itself. So you imagine that you know, Root having to... I don't you know what that actually means in practice. What, what did he actually mean? What did Root have to do that normally you'd expect a coach to do? Mm.
2: Yes, sometimes talking to players, isn't it? One-to-one conversations with players about their attitude. It might be uh, bringing in a a particular uh, approach to net practice, uh, you know, how they're going to structure the nets today. I mean, that should be the coach's job, really. But, but sometimes captains like to have mm. that bit of control. I remember, Mike, actually, I mean, I know this is going a long way back now, but, you know, Mike Brealy when he was England captain and, and Middlesex captain, he would arrive, you know, pre-season, he would arrive with a list, uh, a piece of paper, net one, you know, X, Y, Z, these bowlers, net two, and, and really structure it quite carefully. He wanted certain bowlers against certain batsmen, and he would wander about and, and, and keep an eye on it. We had and a, that's the coach's job we, now? We had a coach... But he didn't really do that. Mike really was in charge. The coach's job now is very much to organise the preparation.
1: Well, we're going to continue with the theme of coaching now because we're going to hear from Mark Rambrakash in just a moment, the former England uh, batting coach, who is, is on the lookout for more coaching roles. One of them, though is not going to be as a head coach in the 100. All the 100 uh, coaches have been named the now. Coaches. The head coaches have been named now. There's some you know, assistant roles are around that have been filled as well. And we've, we've talked about this before, the fact that all eight are going to be uh, non-English. Mm. And that is something that Mark Rambrekash has questioned.
0: I think we've missed a real opportunity to uh, help. I mean, if you if we go back to the time when the IPL came along and ECB went in a different direction with an American called Stanford. Um, That decision uh, has had ramifications. And I think we're still seeing those ramifications because uh, English players and coaches were not involved in IPL. And although that's changed to some extent, um, those city-based teams, when they've come to look upon coaches... Um, predictably they have gone with coaches who are, have been involved in the IPL and who have had international T20 experience. So to, so to, that, that is fair enough. It's a legitimate sort of point of view and probably a safe pair of hands, if you like. Um, but I think that the, the governing body has missed an opportunity there to really give English coaches a leg up. And if they don't, how do English coaches get that experience how do they break in to the T20 franchise competitions around the world um, where are their opportunities going to come and in turn you know that can really help promote other English support staff and players of course in these global tournaments I think my, my feeling is that there is a, a, a the, English coaches are being underestimated um, and sometimes what you see in front of you regularly you take for granted and that's how I feel with, with what's happened in this competition. If, you, if your um, experience is not recognized in your home country, um, I, I think that that's very disappointing and, and I think it's important to mention here people like David Ripley, who've had success with North Hands. Now I know he's involved uh, with, I think, North London. With, the London Spirit, with Shane, yeah. With yeah. uh, which I think is great, but there's absolutely no reason why he couldn't head that up. I mean, he's done an amazing job in North Hans to win T20 um, with limited resources. Um, I mean, there are other good coaches, clearly. Anthony McGrath is doing a good job with... Uh, Essex. With Essex, and he was working under Chris Silver, who Chris Silver is obviously now in the England set-up and has... Um, has gone on to become a very strong candidate for for head coach of England. Um, There are people around.
2: Is it a case that you found that these head coaches, sort of quite well-known names, tend to, when they're appointing their deputies or assistants, tend to go with people they know, and that again seems to preclude English coaches?
0: Well, this is, this is where I, I think it's a great question. and I think it's, it's uh, you know, so for example, Trevor Bayliss has walked into a job at uh, Sunrise's Hyderabad and who's he appointed? Brad Haddon as his assistant. So there's a very strong indication of, you know, it, it, how you, the status quo is there and then how do you break into that? And and so within the 100, I mean, I'm pleased to see that people like Glenn Chappell and Mark Chilton are assistants at, in Manchester and, and obviously David Ripley here, Um, I I don't know uh, the other appointments and who else is involved and and hopefully they will gain experience and of course these contracts are for only one year and maybe they will emerge as strong candidates for head coaches and we may see something different uh, in two or three years time. I don't know that ECB have uh, deliberately done it that way, maybe they are are thinking uh, that that may happen organically. but um, nevertheless, I think with the launch of this new tournament, I, I think' it's, well, I think it's quite extraordinary that all eight are overseas.
2: Mark Ramprakash, of course, is a freelance coach now, essentially after Ashley Giles, number two on our power list, decided that he was surplus to requirements and he wanted to move on and, and get some new people in or, or replace him with, with Graham Thorpe. So it's, it's difficult being a freelance coach if you haven't had any head coach roles. And actually, I said to, to Mark after we chatted about this, um, it reminds me, funnily enough, of my father. And this is a long time ago now, but uh, he was an actor all his life. And you couldn't get an acting job unless you had an equity card. But to get an equity card, you needed an acting job. You needed to do a professional job in a theatre be an actor in other words so it was it was an impossible circle to sort of penetrate really so I mean how I don't know how they did it I, I guess sometimes they just had to work as an amateur in a professional performance like an extra or something and eventually they got
1: their equity card and then they could uh, go and audition for professional jobs so what are you saying about the coaching roles it, it, it's, it's hard to to make that step up to be a head coach because you, you sort of got to show yourself as a head coach to start with and it's it, it's very hard to get those roles in the first place. I, I wonder if it, this applies to sort of
2: headmasters or, or anything, actually, as well, maybe. I don't know. But uh, what what Mark said quite well there was that the experience of being an assistant coach for England gave you the opportunity to throw your opinions in, ideas in, as if you were a head coach. So Paul Farbrace encouraged the, the, the coaches, the assistant coaches, to become sort of, or think like head coaches... So that's great. They've, they've, they've had that input, but they haven't got that credibility or that sort of stamp on their CV to say they've actually done it. To, so until uh, a franchise tournament sort of slightly takes a, a bit of a risk and goes for one of these guys who hasn't done a head coaching role before, there's no way forward for them, which, is, which seems a, a real shame. And it, it does seem, I completely agree with Mark, that the, the, they are missing an opportunity in the hundred. To, to really uh, celebrate and uh, explore and encourage
1: English coaches. Yeah, it was explained to me how this has come about. And one reason could be this, is this idea of potential, well, it's not quite conflict of interest, but you, if, if you let me tell the story, then you can you see what I'm trying to say. With the 100, a couple of countries are coming together. One of the issues is employing an English head coach especially one who's already in situ in a county to then go straight into the franchise and 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 take it over is that you've got this conflict of interest because a couple of counties are coming together to form one franchise team so if you have you have to select two icon players so if you say go for both icon players from your county then someone from the other county will say, hold on a second, well, that's just favouritism. If you go for one icon player from another county and one from your county... Then there are players within your own team saying, "Hold on a second, why he, why has he been chosen over me? Is he? Do you think he's better than me?" So you have those sort of internal problems. So you can sort of understand to some extent why they have gone sort of almost for independent coaches from people sort of outside the current county setup, because there is that you know there is that potential for feeling resentment and jealousy, and that's that's just one suggestion anyway. I think it's that's a minor
2: um, ingredient to why they've chosen these big names, I mean, obviously it was down to each city-based team to select their head coach. And in most cases, I think they wanted prominent individuals, people who'd had a bit of a track record in the IPL or the Big Bash. They felt reassured by the presence of those coaches and they felt it might just um, engender more uh, drive, ambition from the players that, that, that are under them. They are going to be handling a few egos, uh, you know, probably more than they would normally in a a T20 sort of Vitality Blast type team and managing, you know, a variety of of quite big star names. Hopefully we'll get those in this tournament. It does require a bit of uh, kind of authority and and experience, which I I would say that someone like Mark Ramprakash isn't quite ready for yet. Uh, But I would like to see somebody like that thrown in as an assistant coach and to take over in a year's time. And hopefully that'll happen because most of these appointments of the head coaches of the 100
1: are just for one year. The, the eight names, Stephen Fleming, Simon Katic, Darren Lehman, Tom Moody, Shane Warne, Gary Kirsten, uh, Mahela Jar wardner and Andrew McDonald, okay, they are the eight, who, who were... Who could replace them? Who, 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 what, which English coaches would you like to see run a franchise or, or run one of these city-based teams? There's quite a few, but uh, from
2: for an immediate response to that would be David Ripley at Northants, who's done a, a brilliant job at Northants on very scarce resources. Uh, someone like Anthony McGrath at Essex uh, is outstanding. Um, look at them; they've, they've they've won the championship last year. They could win the championship again this year. They've won the Vitality Blast. So he's been excellent. I mean, Peter Moores, you know, a guy who's been an international coach, obviously, but managed England. So those three for a start,
1: and and there are plenty of others. Is it that the English game doesn't trust its coaches enough? you look at the national team... uh... It's a whole succession of, of overseas coaches, Duncan Fletcher, Andy Flower, Trevor Bayliss and Peter Moore's had a, a couple of goes in between.
2: Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I don't know why it is. It seems odd. And I know that there's some people uh, around the place. I mean, Andy Flower you know it's another one you know it, it, he's not english obviously but he sort of feels as if he is english in a way because he's been here for so long and he coached england as well someone like that should be coaching one of the hundred teams uh, you know he's got so much authority knowledge of the game passion for it as well uh, so much credibility uh, but there there does seem to be this reluctance to to see english coaches i, I don't really know why actually until it seems as if until they uh, venture into the the, the the sort of glamorous waters of the IPL and the Big Bash. They don't
1: they don't get a kind of international rating, which
2: is which is a, r- a bit ridiculous.
1: While well, the season's drawing to a close, still uh, plenty to talk about, the championship to be decided, England squads for New Zealand to be selected as well, that they'll be with us uh, very shortly those squads. So on we go and on we go. We'll speak to you very soon. Goodbye for now.
2: Yeah, and we'd like to hear from you Please give us a review on this podcast. It's always great to hear your views. Thanks for listening.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.